Hi everyone, it's Anthony with the CBAA. I thought today to talk about our budget submission to the federal government, uh, the budget 2020 submission. Talk a little bit about why we undertook this effort, how the document was constructed, and what you can still do uh, to inform uh, our government about uh, the ask for support of our industry. So let's get started. You know, our job at the association is to promote and simplify business aviation. Um, every day we're trying to make the lives of our operators easier. And in this case, and with this document, we're trying to promote the industry. We understand the role, of course, that business aviation plays in, uh, in empowering Canadian business. Whether that's to meet with future customers, to meet with the customers that you have today, to get your employees safely, reliably, and efficiently across not just our country, but across the globe. We understand the importance uh, of the role that business aviation plays. This time machine, this tool, uh, helps Canadian business succeed. So we created this document. It's the first submission of its kind for the association. And it's something that um, I and the staff here in Ottawa are really proud of. And I think it's something that we can all stand behind uh, as we ask the government to support this industry. So let's talk a little bit about how it's constructed. Um, we have policy pillars that are identified by the federal government as part of the budget submission and, and, and part of this consultation. So what we try to do there is, of course, speak the language that the government is using or the, that the government wants to promote. And what I thought to do today was walk through those policy pillars and talk a little bit about the individual recommendation. So let's talk about the first policy pillar, uh, climate change policies that uh, make a difference. Uh, it's what the government identified. And our first recommendation is all about sustainable aviation fuel. And that's ultimately that uh, the government of Canada uh, reduce the applicable fuel tax rate and provide incentives to companies that manufacture renewable fuels. Uh, we were encouraged by the uh, mandate letter from the Prime Minister uh, to the Minister of Finance in 2019, where he goes on to say that uh, in the mandate letter, ultimately to cut tax rates by 50% for companies that develop and manufacture zero emissions technology. And the eligible sectors, one of them uh, that's included is on renewable fuel production. So I think it's a great opportunity not just for the Canadian government to take the lead globally on, on uh, the development, the manufacture, and the use of sustainable aviation fuel, but I think it's a great nation-building exercise. It's empowering Canadians um, to, to produce. I mean, SAF is available today. It's drop-in ready. There's no other technical certification requirements. It is blended, mixed, and put into the aircraft. And in doing so, we, we reduce some of that carbon emissions component from the fuel. And you can have different ratios of SAF. But the long story short, SAF uh, helps us meet the corporate and social responsibility goals that our operators have identified. And we know this is an issue of importance. And here, very clearly, we're aligned to what it is that the government wants to do on climate change. So we're asking very directly for incentives for SAF and its production. Recommendation number two is all about our avionics. 
Um, and here we're asking to incentivize avionics upgrades through an accelerated capital cost allowance, expense tax deduction, credit, and or rebate program. It's all about, in this case, RNP. Um, interesting sort of side note, when you look at what NAV Canada, one of their uh, points of pride, of course, is how through, efficient, how, how through the use of technology, efficient uh, routings can be developed. Um, and of course, one of the examples, a shining star they'll always use in Canada is, is the story of Calgary and the implementation of RNP approaches there. Um, and they get to celebrate the story because one of our airlines, WestJet, um, really is leading the charge in terms of the adoption of RNP. And so what we're asking here is we recognize that cost is a hurdle in addition to the certification and, and requirements. So we're asking here the government to recognize that this avionics upgrade, although costly, benefits us by reducing the fuel uh, burned, allows us to safely fly instrument approaches uh, into where now, I think there's 54 at time of this podcast, March uh, 2020, over 50 RNP approaches are available to airports all across Canada. And I think it's, it's prudent then to ask the government for support for the um, upgrade, for the hardware, the certification, the approval, and the training to enable uh, business aviation to take advantage of R&P. So recommendation number three, well, it's all about ADSB. Here we're asking the government to incentivize the rapid adoption of space-based automatic dependent surveillance broadcast, ADSB, to enable uh, fuel-efficient routings. So if we take a step back and think about the investments and the opportunity that NAV Canada has created with its uh, joint venture partner, Arion, we see that um, space-based ADSB, even in the recent uh, past, uh, whether it's about not just the routings of the aircraft, the ability to save an estimated $374 million in fuel costs, the ability to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by about 982,000 metric tons, we see the safety elements. We see that if an aircraft is involved, unfortunately, in an incident, an accident, uh, ADSB, space-based ADSB, allows us the opportunity to very quickly identify where that aircraft is. Um, so that's another advantage to this request here of the government, is that we're going to win on climate change, we're going to win by reducing uh, fuel costs, we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, and we're going to save in terms of search and rescue. Canada spends on average, you know, 80 million a year searching for that ELT target, that that um, imprecise at times uh, target, and our the men and women of our uh, armed forces that go out and look for those aircraft in an effort to ad administer that support that they need. Um, time is wasted if, if their time and dollars are wasted if we can't quickly identify where that aircraft is. So here we're asking that um, business aircraft, large and small, um, help with the adoption of uh, ADSB and specifically space-based ADSB. Um, it'll make a big difference in our fuel costs, reducing greenhouse gas emissions and saving money on search and rescue. So that's support for ADSB. So our last recommendation in the climate change policy, and it's a big one, we're asking here for uh, the government to incentivize the modification of an aircraft 
or the purchase of an efficient and technologically advanced aircraft that has an effective reduction in its environmental footprint. And we're asking this um, by way of either an accelerated capital cost allowance, expense tax deduction, credit, and or rebate program. So here what's important to know is that, um, you know, the selection of the aircraft is important. And we know that uh, one of the benefits in business aviation is that as we seek to renew our fleets, we, we have an advantage of being able to leverage the latest in technology. And think back to the story of winglets. I mean, the first sector in our industry to really take this on uh, was business aviation. It was a Learjet series that started installing it. Soon thereafter, we start to see, again, installations on business aircraft, things like older Gulfstreams, Hawker 800s, the list goes on. And it's only after did we start to see development on commercial airliners adopting winglet technology. Fast forward then also to the idea of who's the first to use composite uh, aircraft design. The use of these materials that make our aircraft lighter and stronger at the same time. Think also to aircraft engine design. We've got some great Canadian companies that are leading the charge on this. So these newer aircraft are employing the latest in technology, lighter lighter engine design, more robust, longer lasting, uh, fewer emissions um, uh, per pound of fuel consumed. So all of this uh, is of benefit. And we're asking here that the government support Canadian businesses with these time machines, these tools that they need to acquire. Uh, it's a benefit both to the economy and it's a benefit to, to our environment as well that, uh, that we continue to use the very latest in technology. The second policy pillar as identified by the government uh, is to ensure clear, fair, and reasonable tax policies. And this is all about the luxury tax. So our recommendation, quite simply, is that the government of Canada exclude all aircraft that are used for business purposes from its new 10% luxury tax. I mean, fundamentally, this is just about tax on a tax on a tax. Um, we know that GST and the applicable PST, where appropriate, are already captured on the purchase of any aircraft for personal use. And we know that under the Income Tax Act, an aircraft flown for business purposes and owned or leased by a corporation, a partnership, or sole proprietor can be considered as a cost incurred to earn income that is recognized by the Canada Revenue Agency. And the Act does not specify or limit the type of aircraft. An airplane of any size can be used for business purposes. And we know that the personal use of an aircraft is already recognized as a non-deductible taxable benefit to the individual. And again, the size and the type of the aircraft is irrelevant. Uh, so I think our recommendation speaks for itself. Um, any aircraft used for business purposes should be excluded from this luxury tax. Let's move to our third policy pillar and how a modernized aviation regulation or modernized regulations in general will ultimately yield better outcomes. So we have two recommendations and the first is uh, that the government work with industry to create a modernized set of Canadian aviation regulations for business aviation that is more flexible 
and responsive to business aviation operations, particularly for small operators. So I think there are kind of three things to unpack here. The first, uh, we were encouraged to see that the Prime Minister's letter, the mandate letter to the Minister of Transport, included language that said, you know, to continue to improve the safety of Canada's transportation sector through a review and modernization of relevant legislation and regulations. Second, we know that the cars have not been modernized since 1996. Uh, Transport Canada itself has noted that this has resulted in regulations that are outdated, inflexible, they're not risk-based, or even harmonized with international standards. So the point three here is really that a one-size-fits-all, these prescriptive regulations, a one-size-fits-all does not work. (laughs) If that was the case, we literally all wear the same hat. And if you've seen me in person, I can't find a hat that fits on my head. So one-size-fits-all doesn't actually work. So when we talk about our small operators, I think there are two unintended consequences that uh, sort of these stale regulations uh, uh, create. The first is that operators, what we've observed is that if given a choice, they may choose to, one, on one hand, have an aircraft that requires that PORD, that private operator registration document, and, and all of the work that then what that document actually entails. So now you're a 604 operator. Um, if you select a different style of aircraft, then maybe you don't have to comply with those regulations. So we start to see that as, as, as a choice to be made. The second and certainly uh, concerning is that, you know, some Canadian operators will think, okay, well, I'll just register my aircraft in another country, a flag of convenience country. Um, And this creates a a challenge if they've thought it through about a car's 202.42, you know, the the operation of a foreign registered aircraft in Canadian airspace and what that ultimately does. So what we see is that there needs to be an approach um, and we're asking the government, and, and we applaud Transport for some of the efforts they've undertaken to date. Um, but this work needs to continue. Um, small operators, business aviation, um, nuance, and the recognition that we are different from uh, you know the airlines themselves in that world. Uh, nuance and that recognition is required. So recommendation number two. Um, to increase the efficiency and safety by working with industry and association subject matter experts to leverage safety management systems and its robust risk mitigation to enable change and encourage the appropriate use of delegations and exemptions. So this is all about SMS, delegations and exemptions. And, you know, the story I tell here is that so much of our industry is talking now about you know, the quest for talent, uh, both in terms of the growth of our industry and uh, and that, that by extension is also the commercial side. So the desire, that quest for talent, we live that, we feel it. The same thing that transport is experiencing to date. They have their budgets. They need their positions filled. They have a retirement uh, cycle that's coming up. And what we're starting to find is that uh, more and more, these subject matter experts exist and are available within industry. And the use of the ability to take advantage of safety management systems, SMS, 
And the culture that that creates within your organization uh, is critical for the future. Um, you know, rewind the tape and remind yourself that 604 Business Aviation was the first to implement SMS. Then it was 705, and and talks now continue for for uh, Air Taxi. But when you look back and you say to yourself, what has SMS done for business aviation? Um, and I point to the examples of what it does within the culture of your organization, how you view risk, and how you work to eliminate that risk as much as you can and where you can uh, from within your operation. So the use of delegations and exemptions by subject matter experts uh, is important because it helps transport solve the challenges they have with their personnel and uh, by extension then ensures that the level of service that business aviation operators experience across the country is consistent, is done in a timely way uh, with absolute oversight from the government. That's why we're asking for these delegations these exemptions for certain areas that we've identified. So our last policy pillar um, relates basically to Canada's airports. Um, we were encouraged by the Minister of Transport, the mandate letter that calls for measures to strengthen transparency, accountability, and efficiency of Canadian airports. And our ask is quite simple, that the government of Canada consult with the business aviation community through the association, CBAA, on any measure to strengthen transparency, accountability, and efficiency of Canadian airports. And we see this, you know, one of the unique elements, of course, of business aviation is that, you know, if you think of Canada, coast to coast to coast, we've got our large airports. We know our four majors, the Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, Montreal. We've got our medium-sized airports, the communities that fit within the provinces. And then we also have the smaller communities within those provinces where business aviation operations take our businesses, you know, maybe to connect with your customers, uh, to, to, to seek out new business, uh, or to just safely transport your employees on behalf of the organization while they're conducting business. We touch the large airports, the medium-sized airports, and the small airports. And whether it's issues experienced at places like Toronto Pearson or Montreal, we need to ensure that Canadian businesses have access to these public assets. Here we're going in and we're talking about supporting these communities um, um, and the jobs that they bring to those local communities by continued access to these public assets. And what's important to note that, you know, especially when we talk about airports, is that the aviation business aviation industry, uh, we estimate, pays about $900 million in taxes a year. So in terms of the infrastructure and our support and the use of these airports, it's so critical. Uh, and we ask then that the government uh, consult with us to ensure that uh, we have continued uh, access to these airports, these vital public assets on behalf of the economy and the businesses that we support. So that's ultimately our budget 2020 document. I think in closing, this is the what next part. You know, what can you do? And I think if you've made it this far in the podcast, what I'd ask you to do is if you found something compelling, if you found within either of, of those policy buckets, if you found some of our recommendations uh, encouraging, if you feel that this is of benefit to the business aviation industry, 
Um, in the show notes, we're going to link to uh, the association webpage where you can find our Budget 2020 submission available both in English and in French, as well as a template letter. I would ask that you customize the template letter. Um, you know, insert your, your name or your corporation's name. Uh, adjust where you see relevant the language that we've used, but share both the letter and the uh, PDF submission of our Budget 2020 uh, with your local government leadership, whether that's federal or provincial. Uh, on the webpage at CWA, you'll also find uh, a, a hyperlink that helps you identify who that individual is to make him or her aware of what it is exactly we're asking in this budget documentation and how it benefits our industry. So thanks for uh, sort of tuning in and, and listening this far. I think this document is something that we in the industry can be proud of. We're aligned to uh, the policy pillars that the government is looking to promote. And we're doing a, a um, reasonable and fair request for investment in our industry. So thanks for tuning in and we'll chat again soon.